Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians, to Ephesians chapter four, uh, for this morning's message and for our time together today. If, uh, if you're new to the church, new to Crosslink, if you don't have a copy of God's word with you today, the words will be here on the screen in front of you. So uh, you can just read along there uh, throughout our time together. But we are so thankful to have every single one of you here today. I realize today on a day especially where we have celebrated baptisms, we had a, a, a dozen baptisms today, six in the early service, six here in this second service. On a day like today, we have many members who are faithful who are here every single week. And of course, you're here today. We have many attenders who have been attending for, could be for weeks or months or years for that matter, but we welcome you. And then of course, on a day like today, especially we have many guests. And so to all of you here today, whether it's your first time here or your thousandth time here today, thank you for being here. I pray that you feel welcomed. And more important than anything, I pray that God would speak to our hearts and lives today in a very personal way and that he will be glorified in everything said and done here today. Whether it's your first time here or your thousandth time here, I do pray that today you feel welcomed and, and uh, open to respond however God would lead you. Whether that be uh, to take a moment in the service to, to pray, whether that be in a moment to respond at the end of the message, whatever that would be, even if that means through the course of the message, you shouting and saying amen or hallelujah, I want you to know that's okay here, okay? We do not have uh, what a church had many years ago. Apparently, <clears throat> there's a story about a little girl named Angie she was six years old, and she, on this particular day, was invited into the worship service to be in big church, okay? So she wasn't going to be in the children's ministry that day. She was going to be in big church, and she was so excited about it. So she came into the service, and a few minutes into the service, she realized, you know what? It's not fair for me to be here and not have my little brother Joel be a part of the service. So she asked her mom. Her mom said, that's fine. She went to the children's ministry. She got her little brother, Joel, and she brought him into the sanctuary for big church. And Joel loved it. He enjoyed the music. He was clapping, shouting, hollering, having a great time like a four-year-old will do. And then the pastor began to preach. And, and like a four-year-old will do, he also got a little fidgety. In fact, he got fidgety and he couldn't sit still and then he began to move and he began to play and then he began to talk out really loud and, and, and Angie, big sister, knew that this was kind of a distraction and so she spoke to little Joel and she said, Joel, she said, you're not supposed to be, be loud like that in big church. You can't act that way in big church. And like a smart aleck little brother, he looked at her and said, who's gonna make me be quiet? And Angie looked back at the back room and she saw some men standing there in a shirt and tie. And she said, Joel, those men are called hushers. They're hushers, okay? <laughs> she didn't understand they were called ushers. But the bottom line is, is that we don't have hushers at Crosslink, okay? You can celebrate, you can amen, and I pray you feel welcome today. Ephesians chapter four, in God's word this morning, I, I wanna ask you really to consider two simple questions. We've been going through a sermon series here at Crosslink over the last several weeks entitled Called to Commit. Two questions I want to ask you to consider this morning that I hope and pray you can answer loud and clear before you leave here today. The first question is this, are you in the faith? Are you in the faith? 
And by that, I'm literally asking you, have you personally believed in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior? The Bible says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus made a very bold claim when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Ephesians chapter 4 starts with a word of instruction where the Bible says there is one Lord and there is one faith. Now, there are many things that people put their faith in. There's many things that people put their hope in, but there's only one faith that leads to the salvation of our soul where our life is changed, our eternal destiny is secure, and we experience the gift of of literally transformation and salvation in our life today. And that one faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you in the faith? Whether this morning, whatever your background might be, no matter what you brought into the, the building this morning, the fact of the matter is, is that all mankind is desperately in need of placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because without Christ, the Bible says, we are hopelessly lost in our sin. Without Christ, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, that all of us have sinned. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter male or female. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how religious your parents were. That all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that means me. That means you. All of us apart from Christ are in a hopeless state of sin. That literally the very best we can bring, the very best good works we can do in the sight of a holy and righteous God, it is nothing but filthy rags. There's nothing we can do to change that. That's our standing before God. But the fact of the matter is when we can do nothing to change that, God did everything possible to bring about salvation and to rescue us. God did everything possible. God so deeply loved you, he so deeply loved me that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus didn't stay dead. The Bible says they took him off the cross, they put him into a tomb, he was there three days and on the third day he rose again from the grave. Because Jesus rose from the grave, Because he died as a sacrifice in your place and in my place. Because he took on himself sins that he never committed. The reality is the Bible says we can now be forgiven and we can be saved. We can be cleansed by believing, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. The first question is this. Are you in the faith? The answer to that today for you is no. You can know today that you are in the faith. You can know today that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If the answer to that question for you is, Pastor, I'm not really sure, then literally at the end of this service, we have a whole prayer team, prayer team that will be here to help you and to guide you and to pray with you and to lead you so that you can know with certainty that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. But today, for those of you who would say, yes, Pastor, by God's grace, I am in the faith. I believe there's a second question that God is wanting us to answer and consider this morning. And that question is this, are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your faith? The fact of the matter is this morning is that the gospel is so simple. It really is. Sometimes we complicate it. Sometimes we add legalism to it. Sometimes we add all sorts of religious uh, uh, notions to it. But the fact is the gospel is easy. It's simple. The gospel is the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus rose again from the grave. The gospel is so simple. We simply must believe it by faith, call upon Jesus to be our Savior, and at that moment, we are saved. But the Bible also makes it clear that while that is simple, 
God is also wanting us to understand, yes, we must have faith. Yes, we must believe in Jesus. But please understand, God doesn't leave you at the altar of salvation. He wants you to continue growing in your relationship with him. Truth be told, as many years ago now, by God's grace, he convicted me of sin. By God's grace, many years ago, God convicted me that I was in need of a savior and that the only way my soul could be saved was by putting my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I still remember vividly like it was yesterday, even though it was many years ago, I remember even in the faith and the simplicity of a child, literally praying and saying, God, I am a sinner and I need you to save me. Please save me today. And I remember that moment of faith. The fact of the matter is many years have passed. And in those many years, what God has been wanting to do all along is he's been wanting to mold me and to grow me and to make me a mature child of God. The question, are you in the faith? And if so, are you growing in your faith? That is the theme of Ephesians chapter four, where we look today. The book of Ephesians is one of Paul's most concise letters that show us the importance of a relationship with Christ and then how to live out that relationship. Uh, some have said in Ephesians chapter one through three, we see our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians four through six, we see our behavior. In other words, if you've experienced a gift of salvation, it should be evident through your life today. And I believe we see the unfold in Ephesians chapter four as we focus on the importance of growing in our relationship with Christ and the importance of Maturity. Listen to what the Bible says as we stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter four, the Bible says, and he, speaking of God, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in what? Love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we have together. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that through it today that you would speak to us to encourage us, uh, to challenge us, uh, to convict us where it's needed today, but ultimately to transform us today. Lord, we know that is only possible through you and through the working of the Holy Spirit. So we ask today that you would guide us and direct us and that we would humble ourselves and repent and turn to you in whatever ways that are needed in our life. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. I pray these things, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. This morning, our time together, I wanna to preach to you on the subject the church and its maturity. The church and its maturity. Simple fact of life is that we don't grow up, uh, we don't, we're not born as adults, right? 
we were born as children. And being born as children, we eventually learned to put certain sounds together. And then after a while, we learned to put words together. Can we not? Sometimes in our childish behavior, we can do silly things. Sometimes in our childish behavior, when we're little, we can do things that, that we simply don't know any better. We do all kinds of crazy things. It's amazing then as those children get older and then they get to that place of, of middle school, guess what? They still do childish things, okay? And then as we grow up, we go into high school and then we go into college. The hope is, is that eventually over time that we come to a place of, of maturity, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that the mark of a child is that when he was a child, he used to think like a child and reason like a child. But when he became a man, guess what? He put away those childish things. Now, sometimes people think of men that we're actually just grown up little boys, but my hope is that we're actually, there's a maturity about us. I think what God is wanting us to see in his word this morning is that it is a joy and it is an honor. It is a blessing to be a child of God. Many have this notion in our world today that all creation, that we're all God's children. But according to the book of Ephesians, you are not a child of God until you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you literally are adopted into the family of God. But God doesn't want you merely just to be a child. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be a mature child of God. So it brings about the question, are we in the faith and are we growing in our faith? That's what God is calling us to do today. And so this morning, as we wrap up this series entitled Called to Commit, I believe God is calling us to see, first and foremost, the importance of a relationship with Christ, and then through that relationship, the importance of our commitment in the context of the church. God tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 some powerful words through the Apostle Paul, and every single one of these words have a context of a local church. God is writing to the believers in the local church in a city known as Ephesus, and he's putting these words to paper by the hand of the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul is giving these words of instruction, and he's basically saying, listen, if you're going to be the child of God that he wants you to be, if you're going to be committed like God has called you to be, if you're going to live for the glory of God like God has called you to, then there are some things that you ought to understand and ultimately apply in your life today. I want you this morning to notice three things with me from the text in Ephesians chapter four that I believe God is calling us to recognize as we consider the church and its maturity. The first thing I want you to see this morning are God's gifts to the church. Can anybody just say the word gifts? Gifts. gifts. I, I, we all like gifts, don't we? Uh, I realize that we don't live for gifts and I realize that it's more blessed to give than to receive. But at the same time, there, we all enjoy receiving a gift, whether that's your birthday or Christmas or something like that. Well, the Bible starts off in Ephesians chapter four, reminding us that God has actually given some gifts to the church. And he tells us this in a very unique way in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. Here's what he says. He says, God gave some as what? As apostles and as prophets, as evangelists, as pastors, and as teachers. Now think of that for just a moment. What God is in essence saying to us is, is that he wants us to understand in this process of maturity, in this process of growing in our relationship with the Lord, in this process as the church becoming equipped to be what God wants it to be, God says, now I want you to know something, Christian. I want you to know something, church. I haven't left you alone. I've given you gifts. I've given you some things to help you grow in your relationship with me. I've given you some things to help keep you accountable. I've given you some things to help mature you and shape you to be the vessel that I want you to be. 
Now we know from other passages of scripture that God has given us four primary things for this purpose. He's given us the word of God, right? We've already read God's word here today. We'll continue to see it in our time together, but God has given us his word to equip us and to help us grow, to be mature, devoted followers of Christ. God has given us the Holy Spirit. That at the moment of salvation, literally we're baptized into one body, that the Holy Spirit of God begins to indwell us. And it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. Many people have this notion that a Christian has to be perfect. There is no one perfect this side of heaven. The difference in who I was before Christ and the difference who I am now in Christ is that today there's the Holy Spirit in my life to convict me from going astray. And when I have fallen and when I have made the decision to do something that didn't please God, the Holy Spirit convicts me and draws me back to that right relationship. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit gives us the confidence and the certainty, the assurance of our salvation. God's given us the Holy Spirit. But God has also given us the church. He's given us brothers and sisters in Christ to help each other, to to encourage each other, to challenge each other. But then the Bible tells us here in verse 11, but God also gave something else. And that is he gave what I'll call his messengers. He gave his servants who would serve by way of ministry and by way of leadership in the context of the local church. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now think of those for just a moment. We all do enjoy gifts. But God here is looking at these people who are serving these roles. He's looking at these people in places of ministry and leadership within the local church. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, church, I'm giving them to you as a gift for the goal of your maturity, for the goal of your being equipped, for the goal of you being the people I want you to be. I'm giving them as a gift. Now, you may not like your gift. You may wish the messengers or the ministers that God gives in the context of a local church were different. You may wish that they dressed more formal. You may wish that the pastors wore skinny jeans. That's not going to happen here, okay? (laughs) You may wish that they were from a different part of the country, a different part of the world. You might wish they would, for God's sake, please stop talking about the University of Alabama, right? There's a lot of things that you can wish and say, but I don't like that gift. And yet God says, no, 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 time out. I want you to know I've given these roles, I've given these messengers for the purpose as a gift to the church, for the purpose of helping the church and helping you individually be a devoted, mature follower of Christ. God gave apostles. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter one, the apostles were those who gave witness of the resurrection of Christ. That was a requirement of an apostle. They had primarily a foundational role in the early church as God was using them as they were giving testimony of what they had seen and heard in Christ raising from the dead. Second, there were prophets, especially in the context of the New Testament. Remember, we have the fullness of God's word today. We have the entire, what they call canon of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but the believers in the New Testament didn't have that. They didn't have Matthew through Revelation. And so what they depended upon were the prophets. The prophets were those men who God spoke directly to, to disclose his will and his word. And so when they spoke, they spoke and they said, thus says the Lord. And the people knew what God desired. They knew his word. They knew his will because of the message of the prophets. Then there were evangelists. The evangelists were the bearers of good news. The evangelists were the ones who went to proclaim the message. This is what Jesus is. This is how we know he is true. This is how we know he's the Lord of all. And people were drawn and they were brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, the Bible says there were also pastors and teachers. The word pastor here literally means to shepherd. It's the idea of a shepherd who is feeding and leading and guarding the flock. How does he do that? He does that through the word of God. 
For our sake today, I'm just simply calling them, they're the messengers of God. And God is saying, I want you to understand, church, that I'm giving them to you as a gift. Now, please understand that God's messengers, we're, we're all different. We're not the same. Someone say, oh, I, I like that messenger over there because he, 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 he's so passionate and excited. Someone say, oh, well, I like that messenger over there because he's so calm and, you know, reserved and thought-provoking. Someone say, oh, well, I like that messenger over there because he preaches such short sermons. God bless you. <laughs> Love them in Jesus' name. I've got a cup of hot coals in my back pocket. But anyway, right? Some pastors preach short sermons. Some pastors preach longhorn sermons. A point here, a point here, and a lot of bull in between. But anyway, there's all kinds of different pastors. There's all kinds of different personalities. There's extroverts. There's introverts. There's those who are quiet, those who are loud. But the simple reality is, is that we're different. And yet God says, listen, I've called them and I've given them as a gift to the body of Christ. What God is wanting us to see this morning is that, yes, while there are differences, our calling and our role to shepherd the church is ultimately to equip the church for the work of the ministry. And we do that by means of the word of God. Second thing I want you to see, and we're going to spend some time here for a while, is this. We see God's gifts to the church, but secondly, I want you to see God's goal for the church. Now, please understand this morning, if, you, if this is your first time here, please understand loud and clear, the mission of the church, the mission of Crossland Community Church, the mission of every local church ought to be to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Beginning in our Jerusalem and then Judea, then Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth, God's calling and equipping of the church is to take the gospel message even to the ends of the earth. It's a, it's a sad indictment on the state of the church in America when now today over 90% of the churches are declining. Our mission, regardless of the title, regardless of the denomination, regardless of who the pastors, our mission is still the same, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And yet as that is our mission, there is also something that God is calling us to do within. I'm listing it here as a goal for the church. What is God's goal for the church? He begins to unwrap that for us in verses 12 and following. Listen to what he says. It says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Time out, stop there. Four things I want you to see. This is God's desire and goal for the church. Number one, that we would be an equipped church that we would be an equipped church, an equipped people, that we would be equipped in the faith. That's kind of the picture here. Why does God give pastors and teachers? Why did he give, even back then, apostles and prophets? Why does God give evangelists? Why does God do this? Is it so that they would simply occupy a position or a title? No. Is it so that they would be a burden or a drain on the church? No. Is it so that they would simply pass the time until their life is over? No. Here's why God gave it. God gave these servants for the express purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, please understand, while this is elementary and simple, it goes completely against the culture of what many of us have experienced in church. I don't know if you've been in that culture before, but I've been in that culture before where the church was in a situation where they thought that they affirmed a pastor or they called a pastor. And then they looked at the pastor and they said, man, pastor, we're so thankful you're here. You've got this. We're going to watch you. We're going to sit back. Go get them. No, they never said that. 
But in their actions, that's what they did. Frankly, I've even seen the church setting where it seems like on a regular basis, there's some sort of evaluation, almost like a keeping a score, like a report card on how good of a job the pastor's doing since he's responsible for all the work of the ministry. But is that what God's calling? No, no, what does the Bible say? God gave these messengers for the equipping of the saints. What the Bible here is describing is, it's describing both the responsibility of the messengers and the responsibility of the members. The responsibility of the messengers, God tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, is that the pastors, they are to shepherd the flock of God among them by practicing oversight in the body of Christ. Acts chapter 20, the Bible gives us that same kind of illustration as, as, as Paul would look and they would give that word of instruction. Hey, shepherd the flock of God and protect them because there's going to be wolves that come into the assembly and there's going to be people rising up. with You be faithful to feed. You be faithful to lead. You be faithful to guard the people with the word of God. But here we're reminded that there's also a calling to all who are Christians that has in Ephesians chapter four, a local church context. What is that? If the pastors are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, it's implying for us that the members have a role then of being supportive and following and being equipped by those same pastors. It brings about a question, doesn't it? If God has given messengers, his messengers as pastors and teachers, if he's given them as gifts to the local church, then the question is, how are we responding to those gifts? Are we receiving them? Are we supporting them? Are we fulfilling our calling and responsibility? The simple fact of the matter is, is that so often we go through life and we go through struggles and we go through issues and yet at the same time we keep the church and we keep those that we need close to us, even the voice at times of the messengers that God's put in our life and we keep them at a distance. But please understand, if the calling of the pastors are to equip the saints, the fact is we cannot be adequately equipped if we're not present. We can't be adequately equipped if we are not uh, supportive and willing to follow. We can't be adequately equipped if we're not committed and engaged. What God is calling us to see is there's a commitment on behalf of the pastors and the, the ministers, if you will, but there's also a commitment on behalf of the members. What is that? First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, listen to what the Bible says. Right after God tells the shepherds how to shepherd, here's what he says to the younger men in 1 Peter 5, 5. He says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, meaning your spiritual elders. The idea is to, to submit to them, to follow them. And all of you, every believer, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Hebrews 13, 17, listen to what the Bible says. And there's a word of, of command to every Christian, but then there's a word of an explanation about the role of God's ministers. Here's what it says. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. <gasps> we don't like to hear that, do we? There's the S word, submit, right? Obey your leaders and submit to them. Listen, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Think of that for a moment. Can the pastors, if this is your home church or if you have another church home or maybe you're here for the first time, but, but can the pastors that you call pastor, can they stand before God knowing with, with truth and with certainty that their serving and ministering to you was of joy, 
because of the blessing and the refreshment you brought to the ministry. The fact is God is calling every Christian to place themselves under the care and the oversight of faithful shepherds who instruct them in the word and equip them for the work of the Lord. We're to be an equipped church. Secondly, we are to be an edified church. We are to be an edified church. Notice what the Bible says. For the equipping of the saints, and here's another phrase that we get uncomfortable with, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, there is a literal work to be done. Now, I realize that on a day like a Sunday, we walk in and we get ready to participate in a worship service gathering at Crosslink or many other churches for that matter. And it's easy to come in and, and frankly to walk out and not have any idea what all has gone on behind the scenes to make it the experience or to make it the opportunity and the moment that it was. Now, to be clear, uh, we ask the Lord to show up. We ask the Holy Spirit to move every time we gather together. But in order to prepare for this gathering together, there's a lot that goes into it. For example, this morning we had the opportunity to, to observe baptism as many people publicly demonstrated their faith in Christ. What an incredible time, right? I, I don't know about you, but my favorite times of the year are when we gather together for baptism. Any, it doesn't matter if that person is a young child or the oldest adult. When someone says, yes, I'm with Jesus and publicly demonstrate, it's incredible. But did you know there's a lot of details behind the scenes? There's a lot of work to be done to facilitate that. There's a lot of emails and phone calls and communications. There's training opportunities through class. There's a group of people that come in through our deacons. They come in this week. They, they were here this past Wednesday evening and they were literally building this baptism pool brick by brick, okay? Piece by piece. You can't see it but underneath here. They're literally putting it together piece by piece. They're getting all the details together. They're getting the water in there. They're getting the plexiglass set. They're getting the heat. The water wasn't as warm as it sometimes is today, but they're getting it all heated and warmed up. Then there's a team of volunteers that help with all the details in the back. And there's a team of volunteers that help to follow up later. There's so much that goes into it. This morning you walked in and you said good morning and somebody probably greeted you well. If they didn't, let Pastor Terry know, okay? <laughs> but you were greeted well and someone handed you a worship guide. And you're like, oh, maybe that's, that's nice. And oh, there's a place to take sermon notes. Oh, there's some things going on this week. But did you any idea the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes as literally as, as, our, as our office staff works together to get all the details and to proof it and to make sure everything's exactly the way that it's supposed to be. And then it goes to our, it's printed all out. Ben does all, it's all printed out. And then it goes to our senior saints. And our senior saints, they fold every single worship guide. And then our senior saints, they, they literally go chair to chair, seat to seat, and they make sure the cards are there, the connection cards are there, and the, the opportunities that are there. And, and, and there's all these things going. It's work. Joyful work, but it's work. The Bible says that as a body of Christ, we are called to edify the body. It means literally to build up the body of Christ. How do we do that? We do that through the work, the scripture says, of service. Now, I am not a brick mason, so I don't want to pretend to know every detail along the way. But if you're going to build a brick wall, here's how you do it. You build it one brick at a time. 
Now I realize there's got to be some rebar at different times and mortar's got to be certain ways and there's ways to space it. So you guys are professionals, you know that I'm missing some things. But here's the bottom line. In order to build that wall, you got to stack brick upon brick upon brick upon brick upon brick until finally you have a beautiful brick wall. The fact of the matter is in the body of Christ, every single child of God, every single person in the faith, every single person has an important part to play. And like a brick upon a brick, as we serve the Lord, as we bring our gifts, as we bring our talents, as we bring our experiences and use them for the glory of God and for the good of the church, it builds up the whole body. At the same time, when one piece is missing, when one brick is not where it's supposed to be, it can have a catastrophic effect. The church can't be what God wants it to be without every single one of us doing the part for which he called and created us and gifted us in the body of Christ. First Corinthians chapter 12 says it this way, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though there are many, they are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but we are many members. God has so composed the body so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. We all have a part designed by God to play in his role in building up the body of Christ. Third thing I want you to see is this. We've got to be an emulating church, an emulating church. It's the idea of what we are modeling and what we are living for and ultimately who is shining through us. Notice what the scripture says in verse 13. We are to continue in this work of service until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, what God is saying is this. God is saying, yes, at salvation, I bring you into my family. I adopt you in as a child of God but I want you to grow to be a mature child of God. I want you to grow not to be perfect. You're not gonna be perfect until you're in heaven, but I want you to grow so that the full stature, the full representation, so to speak, of Christ is evident through you. That's what God is saying. Let me ask you a question. Can people see Jesus in you? If you were to go to your coworkers your neighbors, and tell them, yes, I'm a Christian. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would they say, I already knew it? Or would they say, really? I mean, think about that for a moment. If you were to go and say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I, I want to share with you about Jesus and what he's done in my life, would the people already know it or would they be shocked? What God is showing us here is that when we're growing in a relationship with God, when we're growing to a place of maturity, Christ will be evident and Christ will be demonstrated. Christ will be lived through us. How do we get there? We get there on the basis of a relationship. Notice what the scripture says. The scripture says, how do we get there? By the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, think of this for just a moment. The word knowledge that's used here is not speaking a knowledge of facts. 
It is speaking a knowledge of relationship, the idea of, a, of, a, of an intimate relationship, someone that you know closely. It's that kind of knowledge. Unfortunately, it can be very easy to go to church all the time. It can be very easy to be raised in church. You could know every creed that you've been taught. You could even memorize scripture and still only have a knowledge of facts. But what God is talking about here is a knowledge of relationship. Let me try to illustrate that loosely. It's a very, it's not the best illustration, but it's the best thing I think of at the moment. In January of 2001, Right after Christmas break, I was a college student at Liberty University. I was on a ministry team called Light Ministries and we just got back from a missions trip to England. And I remember the first week of classes, I walked into the office and immediately I was welcomed into the office by a a lady that I'd never met before. Her name was Heather Richardson. And as soon as she said, hello, I said, well, hello. You know, like (laughs) she immediately got my attention. And so I, I, you know, I had, I was, a, she didn't know at the time that I was a ministry team leader and I'd been working in this organization for, for a while already at that time. But the fact of the matter is, is that she was there working and she had a job and, and I went and talked to my boss about some ministry things. And I said, by the way, who's Heather? Oh, she's the new girl that we've hired. She's taking the place of so-and-so. And I was like, well, thank you, Jesus. You know, this is awesome. But, but here's the reality. The reality is, is that when I first met her, she was liking somebody else. And, and, and so, uh, you know, and I was praying the jerk away. And so <laughs> fact of the matter is, is that for like two months, I learned facts about her. I learned that she was from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I learned that uh, certain things about, you know, the fact that she had a a little sister that was just really small. And and, and we talked about that a little bit. I I learned those things. I learned in the process of communication that she actually liked SEC football. It's like, hallelujah, you know, like this is awesome. I learned facts about her. But then when the time came that she wasn't liking the jerk anymore and I could ask her out on a date, April the 18th, 2001, we went on our first date. We went to Ruby Tuesdays for dinner and we went to a Wednesday night campus church. That was our first date at Liberty. We went on another date two weeks later. But in those dates, all I was doing was I was learning information. I learned about her parents. They lived in Burlington, North Carolina. I learned about uh, what she was studying in school and why she kind of went into that area. And, And I learned facts about her life. That was a simple factual knowledge. But the truth of the matter is, is that when we've separated it for the summertime, I went to Alabama. She went to be with her family. I told her, hey, I'll, I'll call you, you know, once a week or whatever. Here's the reality. It was so old. We had the, the little phone card from Walmart. Anybody remember those? Oh yeah. God, I got my, man, I, I went through phone. I called her just about every single day that summer. By the time I got, no joke, by the time I got back to Liberty the next semester, we, we, were, I mean, we began to date all, we were dating exclusively. We were in a committed relationship. I was already beginning to think this girl could be the girl that I marry. And in the process of our relationship, listen, here's what's happened. What's happened is I don't just know those initial facts anymore. I know her in the context of relationship. I, I know her joys and I know her sorrows. I know her, her victories and I know her struggles. I know her, her areas of great confidence and security and I know those areas that, that maybe aren't so much. And she knows everything about me. If you need any dirt, she's the girl to talk to. Say, so why? Because there's a relationship. 
And in the context of that relationship, we now know each other. It's not about the fact that she's from Chattanooga or whatever. No, the fact of the matter is, is that I know her and I love her and we're in a marital relationship together. The fact of the matter is that when we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we don't just know the facts, oh, this is who he is, this is what he said, oh, he lived, he died, he rose again, okay. When it's not just about the facts, but about relationship with him, what he does is this. He begins to reveal himself to us in ways that are extraordinary, that mold us and shape us and transform us and change us. If you today profess to be a follower of Jesus and you are the same way you are today than you were before you followed Jesus, something's wrong and missing. If you're in a relationship with Christ, you're not perfect, but you will be transformed and you will be changed. Literally, the stature of Christ will be evident in and through your life. So much so that not only do you experience the joy of it, but others receive the benefit of it. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 12 says it this way. By this, the love of God was manifested where? In us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In other words, it's not so much just about living for Jesus. It's about loving Jesus to where he lives through us. Verse 12, listen to this statement. No one has seen God at any time. This next statement seems almost like, where is this coming from? What does this mean? No one has seen God at any time. Listen to this though. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Those statements seem contradictory, but what God is saying is simply this. No one has seen God at any time, but where has God made his love manifested? In us. So here's what's happened. As we love God in a relationship with him and love one another as we all, guess what happens? God so abides in us that even though others can't see God, they can see him in us and through us. So what do others see? Or who do others see in and through you? Fourth, what is God's goal for the church? I gotta speak quickly. God's goal for us is that we will be an enduring church. Notice the same in verse 14. The idea of enduring here is that we are persevering, that we're not giving up, throwing in the towel, that we're not being swayed by the enemy in all of his attacks, but we are withstanding the temptations. We're withstanding the storms and the trials. We're withstanding the false teachings and lies that the world will bring against us. We're persevering and enduring. Verse 14, as a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Please hear me loud and clear this morning. If you are in the faith, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the last thing that Satan wants is for you to stand firm in your faith. The last thing that Satan wants is for you to be growing in your faith. No, what he wants to do is he wants to knock you off course. He wants to get you off the right path. He wants to rob you of your joy and hinder you of your effectiveness. He wants to suffocate the potential of what God could do in and through you. Paul here gives us three illustrations that we, we miss in our English language, but in the Greek, there were very clear pictures of this very illustration. He gives the illustration of a child. He's speaking of a small child. Small children are beautiful and they're precious and they're wonderful, but small children can be easily moved. You just pick them up, move them, and then you can lay them down. It's easy to do. 
Paul is saying, God wants you to be mature and growing in your faith so that you're not like a weak child that's easily picked up and moved and put down somewhere else. God wants you to be mature and growing in your faith so that you're not tossed here and there by waves. We get the picture here of a weak vessel that literally has no way to overcome the waves, the ocean just moving it back and forth and back and forth. There's nothing it can do to resist. And what God is saying and what Paul is saying in this moment is, no, God wants you to be growing in your faith so that you're not wiped back and forth by the waves of false doctrine, by the waves of pressures of the world. You're not going back and forth on how do you feel about this and how do I feel about that? No, you're living by conviction. What does God's word say? It's not about what I feel. It's about what God's word says. But then he gives this other illustration. He says, and not carried about by every wind of doctrine. This carried about by the wind literally is the image of something weak, like a small, fragile twig of a tree being blown in the wind and taken wherever the wind wants to take it. What does he say? By the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Please understand that Satan has his schemes and his attacks and his entire desire is to steal, kill, and to destroy your marriage, your, re- close, your, your close fellowship with Jesus, your relationship in the body of Christ, the mission and ministry of the church, his desire is to steal, kill, and to destroy. And if, we are, if, we're, if we're not growing in our faith, we're going to be in a position where we are the most vulnerable to be literally tossed here and there and completely destroyed. How do we stand firm? How do we resist that? How do we overcome those schemes? How do we stand firm regardless of the storm and regardless of the difficulty? Here's what the the psalmist said in Psalm chapter one, verse three. Listen to these words. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he stand in the path of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's in the word of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Listen to the result. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. In other words, in order to be that tree that stands firm, in order to be that tree that is fruitful regardless of the storms and regardless of the pressures and regardless of the ways of the world and regardless of what we face, in other words, the only way that tree can stand firm is that those roots go deep and those roots are grounded and those roots are founded and those roots are nourished in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word. Please hear me loud and clear. If your roots are grounded in grandmama and granddaddy's religion, it's not going to last. If your roots are grounded in, oh, we got a good preacher, it's not going to last. If your roots are grounded in your so-called knowledge and your ability and your skills, it's not going to last. Your roots have to be grounded and have to be fed and nourished by the Lord Jesus Christ and by his word. 2011, Heather and I, our family, we bought a home in Christiansburg, Virginia, where we lived at the time and we were so excited. I, for years, had wanted to have land and the Lord blessed us beyond what I could have ever imagined. We, we had a house that uh, had a small little, well, had a backyard of a few acres and then there was a big meadow for the sheep and then we had a mountain in the back. It was like 22 acres. It was beautiful. My favorite part of that land was a creek. This creek was, I mean, like picturesque. When it snowed, the, the, the limbs of those trees would weigh down with snow and with ice and it created this tunnel effect over the creek. It was, un, it was like magical, seriously. It was beautiful. 
And I remember recognizing one day that across the creek, there was this area that was large and was flat. And I had this grandiose vision that I wanted to get to the other side of this creek. And I wanted to put a gazebo and a picnic table and various things. And it was going to be a really cool place. And we'd been there for about six months or so. And I began to think through, how am I going to build a bridge across this that's going to be stable and withstand the storms that we sometimes get? And I'm literally thinking through that. I can't tell you that I prayed about it, but I was thinking through it when all of a sudden one day we had a pretty big storm and I went outside and one of the biggest oak trees that was on the side of that mountain, the biggest oak trees I've ever seen in my life, had fallen down and it was literally laying over the exact spot I wanted to be. In other words, God gave me a bridge. This thing was huge. I remember like trimming off the, some of the major limbs, but this oak tree was so wide, I could have taken any of my kids by the hand and we could walk across that oak tree uh, to the other side. And it was like, all right, Lord, I don't have to build a bridge anymore. Thanks for saving me some money. You know, that's great. I love that bridge. I'm not joking. I would go across the other side of that creek and I would clean it up and I was getting things ready. I had all these different ideas in my mind and I'd figure out how I was gonna do some stone walkways and all this different stuff. I was so excited about it. And Heather reminded me after the first service today that it was around wintertime, we had had some snow that year and it had melted and the creek was, was kind of moving a lot. And then we got a, 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 an afternoon of rain that just immediately the creek began to rise. And then right after that, this front came in, bottom line is we got a ton of rain in about a 24-hour period. Heather reminded me after the first service today, don't you remember that it, the, the flooding became so severe that they let everybody out of school? So all I remember was I remember rushing home one afternoon and I remember rushing home because I had seen a warning about some things on our street. I got there and our little creek down at the bottom of the hill, this thing was like a raging river. The creek had come out of its banks. The creek had come up over my God-made bridge. The creek was coming up the backyard. It literally was over our place. I mean, our place that was like, I don't know, 11 feet tall and it was over the water and it was coming towards the house. Our backyard looked like a river. And I thought, oh, it'll, it'll, it, you know, it's going to settle down. It's going to settle down. Overnight, it rains. It wasn't settling down. In fact, I remember getting up the next morning, and that water was probably about four feet from our house. And I began, I, at that moment, I was worried. I remember getting on my knees in that mud that day. And I remember praying, God, please stop this rain. I mean, I, I know that no one in the flood happened, but I don't want to see another one. You know, you did make a promise. But anyway, like, God, please hold off the rain. Please protect us. As God is my witness, I don't know, 15, 30 minutes later, the rain eventually stopped. And I mean, it took days for the water to go back down. It really did. And the water was down. Just everything in the backyard was fine. My bridge. Oh, this, I'm telling you, this oak tree was the, probably the biggest oak tree I've personally ever seen. It was enormous. It was not only removed, there was no sign or evidence that it was ever even there. You know why? Because once it fell and became my bridge, its roots were no longer deep. Its roots were no longer getting the nourishment that it needed. And when the pressure came and the storm came and the waters rose, it was easily removed and washed downstream. In fact, it wasn't until a few days later I got a phone call. The tree had caused some issues way downstream that we had to, as neighbors, fix. Pastor, what are you saying? We live in a broken world. Trials and storms and difficulties and evidences of sin are everywhere we look. 
we live in a world in which the enemy, with all the pressures of the world, all the false teachings that he will try to insert, all the lies he'll try to speak into our mind. Listen, I'm telling you, we are no match for those things unless we are rooted and anchored in Christ and his word. Final thing I want you to see this morning is God's growth in the church. I'm gonna ask Brother Andrew to go ahead and come on out and begin playing. I'm gonna sum up with three simple things. So how in the church are we to grow individually as Christians and how are we to grow as a larger body of Christ, as a local church? How are we to grow to this place of maturity? I'm gonna tell you three things in the actual order that I think the text encourages them. Three practical outcomes. Number one, applications. Number one, we must learn to speak the truth in love. And frankly, we must also be willing to receive the speaking of the truth in love. Notice what the scripture says in verse 15, but... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, into Christ. Most of us, we like to hear the truth when it's comfortable, right? But oh, let the truth really speak into what we need the most. We don't like it so much. But we need to receive it and we need to share it, the speaking of the truth in love. The fact of the matter is we need each other in the body of Christ. Isolation in the body of Christ always leads to weakness. So we must be engaged in community. We must be willing to love each other enough to speak words of truth, words of encouragement, words at times of even at warning or admonishment. But it is in the context of those relationships that we speak to each other the truth and doing it in love. Secondly, we must also submit to Christ as Lord. What does the scripture say in verse 15? Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him, Jesus, who is what? The head. It means that Jesus is the ruler, that Jesus is the Lord, and that our calling is to trust him and to follow him as the Lord of our life. As a church, we will not be what God wants us to be unless we are first and foremost looking to Jesus and following him. And if that be true of the church, that's certainly true of my and your individual lives. We will not be the vessel, we will not be the person that God wants us to be without looking to Jesus, trusting him and following him as Lord John Phillips said it well. He said, the theme here is one of mutual development. We are to grow up as individuals and as a body under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Today, the question is simple. Is Jesus the Lord of this church? You know what? By God's grace, I believe that he is. We're following him. But then the question becomes more personal, doesn't it? Is Jesus the Lord of your life. Is he the Lord of your life? Are you living your life for the Lord Jesus Christ today? Or rather, are you so surrendered to him that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is boss and Jesus is living through you? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? The final step we see in verse 16 is this. If we're gonna experience this growth and maturity in the Lord, yes, we must submit to Christ as Lord. Yes, we must speak the truth in love and finally, we must serve the body of Christ in love. What does the scripture say? Christ being the head, and it is from him 
that we are fitted and we are held together by what every joint, every person, every part, every believer supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. It causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This morning, I close the message, but I wanna ask you this morning two questions. Are you in the faith and are you growing in the faith? This morning, if you are not sure that you are in the faith, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you can know with certainty by believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and by confessing with your mouth, Jesus, I know that you are the Lord over all. Today, Lord, I invite you to be the Lord of my life. From this day forward, I want my life to be lived for you. Father, forgive me, save me. Today, you can know that you're in the faith. But secondly, if you're in the faith, maybe you'd be honest and say, now I've been one of those weaker individuals. I've experienced that like a child being picked up. I've experienced that where I felt so overwhelmed by the trials and the pressures and the temptations. I was so overwhelmed by the lies that the enemy was feeding into my own mind. I've been in that situation where I felt like I was tossed here and there by the wind and the waves and I don't want to be there again. I want to grow in the Lord. You can. Humbling yourself. You can by humbling yourself and saying, Lord Jesus, you are the Lord. I submit to your Lordship today. And from this day forward, Lord, I wanna live my life rooted and grounded in you and in your word. Today, whatever's been hindering you from that, put those things aside and get serious about that relationship with the Lord again. He's waiting, he's calling, He's pleading and inviting you back. I want to ask you today to say yes to the Lord. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.